Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter number 18. Revelation chapter number 18, while you're turning there, let me remind you that the book of Revelation is divided into three parts. The first five chapters have to do with things before the tribulation. Beginning in chapter 6 and on through chapter number 19, it deals with the period of time during the tribulation. I want to remind you, however, that it is not in chronological order uh, throughout that section. In other words, it's, I believe, divided up actually into four separate accounts of the tribulation period, and each section concluding with the return of the Lord. But in chapter 6, we have a brief snapshot, if you will, just a summary of the tribulation period, and uh, then he enlarges upon that throughout the remainder of these chapters. Now, in chapter number 17, we talked about Babylon being destroyed. And I made the statement then that Babylon, there are two aspects to Babylon, and we had one entire lesson on this subject, the spirit of Babylon that goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel, and man's attempt to... Uh, in some way escape the wrath of God through his own personal efforts. We would call it man-made religion. And it didn't work then, and it's never worked and never will. But uh, when we think about Babylon, there are two aspects to it. Chapter 17, that deals with the what we call the ecclesiastical aspect of it. That's the religious side of it. And uh, remember, there is not only the Antichrist, but also the false prophet. That's the religious leader that toots his horn, so to speak, that promotes him and enables him and gets him in the position as this one world leader. Uh, And uh, so in chapter 17, we find that religious system destroyed during the tribulation. And what happens is... After the Antichrist finally is uh, enthroned, as it were, here in this world, and has all of the power and uh, head of the of the ten nation revived Roman Empire, when he realizes that he has that power, all of a sudden he turns on the religious uh, people uh, the, that that helped put him there, and they're destroyed. Now, uh, in chapter eighteen, it deals with the the political aspect of Babylon, and this deals with the world economy in that day. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. You'll notice in verse number 1, these words here, it says, And after these things, after these things, so although I said that chapter 6 through 19 is not in chronological order, there are certain parts of that section that are in chronological order, such as what I've just mentioned here. After these things, after uh, after religious Babylon is destroyed, after that happens, then notice what happens here. The, the political side is finally brought down to its knees and destroyed. Notice in the first three verses, we see the downfall predicted. The downfall predicted. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, 
And the earth was lightened with his glory, and he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundantly of her delicacies. So here we see, notice again that, that, that phrase, is fallen, is fallen, in other words, indicating that there are two stages to the destruction of Babylon. And we've already talked about the fact that Babylon is more than just a city, whether you want to think of it as Rome, the Seven Hill City, or whatever. It is a system, and so that's what we need to keep in mind instead of arguing whether it's Rome or whether it is, uh, whether it's Baghdad, you know, rebuilt like ancient Babylon was, or it really doesn't make any difference. The fact is, this city is going to exist, this system's going to exist, and God tells us he's going to destroy it. But notice here as he predicts the downfall, there are two things about this I want you to notice. First of all, that this system is inhabited by devils in verse number 2. Now remember, the New Testament church is the habitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, God dwells in the midst of His people. And every local New Testament church is God's dwelling place on this earth. Now, God is... Uh, is omnipresent. That is, God's everywhere. We understand that. But God is present in a special way with His people, in a way unlike any other organization on the face of this earth. But notice this system, this organization here, he says is the habitation of every foul spirit. So, so we're talking about demons. We're talking about Satan. And, uh, and as he describes for us here, uh, the demonic powers that govern, uh, the, the world as it were. I mean, to the extent that God allows it. Remember, Paul said, We wrestle not with flesh and blood against the powers and principalities and the rulers of darkness and in high places and so forth. And we've already talked about that some. And uh, sometimes we wonder why in the world these nations do the things they do when it is so contrary to common sense. And why do the politicians do the things they do when the average ordinary man on the street could make better decisions. Why do they do that? And sometimes we forget the satanic influence they are under. We forget all about that. They're not reasonable. They're not, they're not going to do the, you know, the natural, reasonable, logical thing that wisdom would cause them to do. And like Paul said, uh, they're taken captive of the devil at his will. And so they're like puppets on a string, so to speak. Now, notice not only is this system inhabited by devils, but notice that it has a great influence over the economy. And we're going to see that throughout this chapter here. I said the other day that religion has taken on big business 
characteristics. And let me, let me tell you, it's a lot bigger than what we imagine. I don't have the time to do all of the research to try to find out, you know, the holdings of the different religious organizations and, and so forth. But I do know that the majority of the cults are supported by financial investments rather than tithes and offerings. And, and it seems like everybody jumped on the bandwagon. You know, we believe in supporting God's work through tithes and offerings. That's the way that uh, it was done originally. That's the way that we do it today. But a lot of so-called churches see nothing wrong with making investments in the world and and buying businesses and, and, and so forth. I was reading just the other day, and I don't want to get too far off of the point here, but I'll be writing an article about this. But... Uh, uh, now it's the, the the big deal. Now is going to be church uh, by uh, uh, by the internet, by, by the web. And you you can be a member of a church and never attend that church. You just join the church. Now they have a different membership status and what have you. But naturally, you can tithe online. You can listen to the sermons online. You know, it's not too much different than what some folks here in some of the churches, Baptist churches, right here in this area at certain times of the year, uh, the, 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 uh, the, there's no pastor there, as I understand it. I haven't been there, but just from what the members tell me. And uh, so they, they listen to, to the Baptist Pope over there on the other side of town get up and watch him preach on a television screen while... Why don't they just stay home? I mean, if they're going to do that, just stay home. Now, now, now what I'm saying is, and I don't want to get so far off track that you lose sight of what we're talking about. I'm, I'm simply talking about the fact that instead of doing things God's way, we live in a day and age where even so-called Baptist churches think nothing of, of getting out here and making worldly investments and going the way of the world. Well, this religious system, because no doubt about it, when we think about a one-world church, naturally, naturally, the thought of money comes up. I mean, it's got to be uh, financed and sponsored and so forth somehow. And uh, so we know that the wealth that the Roman Catholics have and some of the other religious organizations and... Uh, and, and, and I won't go there. You, sometimes we wonder how certain parts of our society, how they're making such great inroads and, and corrupting our nation. I'm going to tell you, a lot of it has to do with the money they've got. The, and, and if you're just looking at things from the standard of the world, money will do a lot. Now, the downfall is predicted, but look at verse number 4 down through verse 8. Here we see the division of the people. And notice what happens after predicting the downfall. It says in verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Now notice, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double, according to her works in the cup which she uh, hath filled, filled to her double." How much she hath glorified herself, and lived deliciously, and so torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, and listen to the attitude of this one world government, I sit 
a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. In other words, nobody's going to bring me down. Nobody's going to destroy me. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mornings and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. I hope you understand that as we go through here, we're taking larger bites of material than we normally do because we could get really bogged down in all of this. But I find it very interesting that her attitude is that, 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 that I am a queen. Did you notice that? Why, why would they have that attitude? Why would they use that terminology? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll remember that the Lord said concerning Israel, I have set thee as a queen among the nations, and I have adorned thee. In other words, in order to get the attention of the world, God chose Israel. They were His chosen people. And He said, I set thee as a queen and adorned thee. Now, when we see here this voice calling from heaven, saying, Come out from among her, I believe there's a strong possibility that he's not talking about his people in the sense of those that are saved, because I cannot imagine saved people having had anything to do with it. If it does refer to saved people then it refers to them getting out of the geographical location where the judgment is coming, not so much getting out of the corrupt religious system uh, itself. And, and so it's, it may very well be that when he talks about his people there, that he's speaking about Israel, his chosen nation upon the earth. Remember, they were to be, as I said, a queen. And he said they were to be a light unto the Gentiles. So for God to reveal himself to the world, uh, he used, he chose and used the nation of Israel. And so here, notice, he's pointing out the fact that destruction is coming up on them, and he warns them to leave the city. Verse number five, notice that he says Babylon's sins are recorded. You know, a lot of people think, well, I can sin and get by with it. God's not going to know, and, you know, or he's not going to care, or whatever, but, uh, believe me, you're not going to get by with your sin. And uh, neither will this corrupt organization. Payday comes someday. And there in verse 6, 7, and 8, I want you to notice that she reaps more than what she sowed. This is a perfect example of the law of sowing and reaping that's expressed in Galatians chapter number 6. We always reap what we sow. We reap later than we sow, and we reap more than what we sow. And that's certainly the case here. You go back to the Old Testament, and whenever uh, the the, the uh, ancient Babylon, when God's judgment came upon uh, upon the people in in that day, and they they were warned, and, and here it says, "She shall utterly burn with fire." Well. You know, God had warned Babylon, God had warned the Jewish people back in that day uh, because of their sins and warned them time and time again, and, and His warning fell on deaf ears. And, and just like when the prophets came and prophesied and they refused to believe them, the false prophets came along and what did they do? 
Well, they came along and said, in regards to Jeremiah, he's an old fogey. Now, I'm paraphrasing and understand, didn't say this exactly. But you don't have to listen to him. You don't have anything to worry about, you know. God's going to, God's going to take care of us. They had it in their mind, we're his special people. We're going to be protected. But there comes the day that the hammer fell and judgment came upon them and then judgment came upon Babylon. Well, we go down through the pages of history and now we're in this time, you know, during the tribulation period and judgment's going to come again. And notice what it says. Here's why we know it's true. Verse number 8, For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. And and I like the fact that he puts the emphasis upon the strength of the Lord because, you know, sometimes we look at what man does and we wonder to ourselves, you know, things are so out of hand, how in the world can we ever uh, overcome this, right? I mean, we think, well, okay, America is beyond the point of no return and, you know, there's, there's no way to bring it back and, you know, sometimes we're tempted to just throw up our hands in despair and give up on America. Let me tell you, don't do that. God, listen, God can bring America back, but it's going to take God's people being revived. Now, I don't know, I don't know that that's going to happen. Please understand. I'm not saying that. I don't want you to have a false hope, but I'm saying that most assuredly God can do it. And when God gives a warning, Concerning our sins, we better mark it down. Notice, he says, For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. So we know because of the strength, the ability of the Lord, His omnipotent power, that He's going to bring this system down. Now, beginning in verse number 9, down through verse 19, we see the destruction of Babylon. We saw the downfall predicted, the division of the people, but now notice the destruction. And I'm going to read through this and try not to get caught up in all of the details because it's self-explanatory. And notice what he says, verse nine and the kings of the earth. Everybody understand that, right? I mean that's easy. The kings of the earth, that's who he's talking about. Who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her uh, when they shall see the smoke of her burning. Uh, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come, and the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, and no man buyeth their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and fine wood and all manner of vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of most precious wood, and of brass, and of iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and odors, and ointments, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and beast, and sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, and souls of men. Boy, that is interesting there. And notice he goes on, And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of those things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off, 
for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught, and every shipmaster and all of the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust upon their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness, and for in one hour she is made desolate. Now, I want you to notice that throughout all of this it's obvious that, 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 that most of the things being said here relate to those who prospered financially from this system. And they are weeping and wailing because their profits come to an end. You know, heartache is always the result of those that uh, are putting your trust in riches. It's always going to end in disappointment. And it's it's certainly sad during this horrible time of the tribulation, and these people are weeping when they see it all slip away, it's all gone, the things that they valued most they've now lost and what have you. But but it's strange to me that when you think about the tribulation and all of the horrible things, remember what we talked about in chapter number 6? Food's going to be rationed. People are going to resort to cannibalism. Mothers eating the flesh of their own children. And the most horrible time on the face of this earth. And what are these people crying over? Material things. That tells you everything you need to know about their character. Because I'm telling you, there are more important things to cry about than material things. Material things ought to be down on the bottom of the list. And yet, that's what these people are weeping and wailing about. You know, they they put all of their confidence in material things. And now, all of those things are gone. They've lost it all. Verse number 20 Now we see the delight of heaven. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. Judgment eventually comes to those that abuse God's people. And down through the ages, God's people have been hated and despised and abused by the hand of wicked, wicked religious people for the most part. And thank God the day's going to come when it will never happen again. And notice what he says, rejoice over her. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, it seems like a sad thing to think about rejoicing over those people losing all they have. Well, let, let me put it this way. If, if I saw a, a, a rattlesnake about to about to strike one of your children, and I took a garden hoe and cut that sucker's head off, I'm going to tell you what, I'd be happy about that, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd rejoice over that. Let me tell you, the deadliest enemy you've got on the face of this earth is religion. Religion is the worst thing on the face of the earth. Look, and it doesn't make any difference what the religion is, by the way. 
And some way we got it in our mind, you know, well, this group, they're closer to the truth than that group. No, listen, other than Christianity, they are all in the same group. It doesn't make any difference. And thank God for that day and that time when God's going to destroy that rotten religious system that's so prevalent in the world, and He's going to destroy the economy that that prospered as a result of of her influence and her help and assistance. And so He says there in verse 20, for the heavens to rejoice. That's something we rejoice about. You know, sometimes we sometimes we... I think misrepresent God. You know, you need to go back to Proverbs chapter number one. Talks about God laughs at those in their calamity. You know, that's a side of God that most people never even think about, right? In their day of calamity, God laughs in their day of calamity. Look, we've got something to rejoice about in thinking of our enemies finally at long last being totally destroyed from the face of the earth. Now, beginning in verse 21, he speaks about the desolation of Babylon. And, and let's look at this in a little bit more detail. In verse number 21, notice he tells us that judgment will come, and it will be terrible and total. He said, "...and a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all." With violence, he says, shall that great city be thrown down. You know, man's never been able to build anything that can withstand the wrath of God. Never. And so God says, I'm going to tear it down. It'll be terrible. It'll be total. And notice what it says, shall be found no more at all. In other words, her fall is going to be final. Some of, some of the ancient cities and some of the ancient empires and what have you, even after suffering defeat and after they fall, they would rise up again. Well, in that day, in that day, there shall be no more rising up from the dust of the earth. God will destroy the rotten system once and for all. Notice verse 22 and verse 23. Not only will judgment come, but notice that joy shall cease. Joy shall cease. Look at verse 22. I want you to notice several things. First of all, entertainment shall end. And the voice of the harpers and the musicians and the pipers and the trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. Entertainment. Boy, today, entertainment is big business. That's the God that a lot of people worship. They care more about entertainment than anything on this earth. It just literally makes me sick to my stomach whenever I, uh, whenever I see, you know, these hotshot entertainers making millions and millions of dollars and, and then they start to speak out on political issues like they're experts, you know. And here we've got these little teenage girls idolizing these idiots and following them, you know, and so forth. And it just, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking to see the attention 
they get. There's a show, uh, inter, is it in, in, Entertainment Tonight, or it comes on every evening, 6 or 6.30, something like that. And I, I mean, I don't watch it and never have. Just the introduction's enough to make me want to throw up. Uh, you know, those people getting that kind of attention. Well, let me tell you, God's going to put an end to all of that nonsense in that day. So entertainment shall end. Verse 22 again, employment shall stop. Now listen to this. No craftsman, no craftsman of whatsoever craft, uh, he says, he be, shall be found any more in thee, and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. Employment shall stop. Boy, I could really get off into a, a you know a political quagmire right about now and talk about a lot of uh, different things. You know, it's a shame that here in America, to where all we, we we focus on entertainment, you know, whether it's sports or Hollywood, whatever it is, and services and, and things of that nature, we don't hardly produce anything anymore. Right? And, and, and let me tell you, any time a nation, any time a nation gets to the point that it stops producing, it's just a matter of time before it's doomed. And this system in that day, God's going to shut it down, boy. And I mean, the, the employment's going to stop. All of a sudden, they'll be making nothing, producing nothing. And then notice verse 23, Energy shall fail, and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. Boy, they burned the candle at both ends and pursued pleasure, and now the lights have gone out. Get old saying, turn out the lights, the party's over. And it's going to be over in that day. And notice he says, the light of a candle. Now, you know, we think about a candle today, and that's... All the time we use a candles on a birthday cake, but believe me, people depended upon that for light back in ancient times and uh, had their lampstands to use oil in. Well, listen, there's coming a day and a time where the resources, the resources that man has depended upon so much, in that day, all of a sudden, there's going to be a collapse uh, of energy. And then notice verse number twenty. Three, espousals shall cease, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. Now notice, no more at all. That's total ruin. And, and, and I want you to notice the number of times in these verses where he uses that phrase, no more at all. In other words, this is one empire that's never going to rise again. No more at all. Entertainment's going to end, and it'll be no more at all. There'll be no more entertainment. There'll be no more employment. There'll be no more energy. There'll be no more espousals, because why? Marriage, as it were, and the family as we recognize it, is going to come to an end in that day. But look at verse 23, because here we see an explanation as to what has been said, and the angel informs us here. Notice, her merchants were the great men of the earth. That speaks about, that speaks about the influence that this system has with world leaders. The merchants were the great men of the earth. These are the people with the deep pockets. These are the people with all of the money. These are the world leaders, the world powers. But notice this statement here where he says in the last part, For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. The Greek word 
that we get the word sorcery from is the Greek word pharmakia. And it literally means enchantment with drugs. Enchantment with drugs. Let me, let me read something to you out of Vine's Expository Word Dictionary. And here's what it says concerning that word. Primarily signified the use of medicine, drugs, spells, and then uh, poisoning, and then sorcery. In sorcery, the use of drugs, whether simple or potent, was generally accompanied by incantations and appeals to occult powers with the provision of various charms, amulets, etc., uh, professedly... Uh, designed to keep the applicant or patient from the attention and power of demons, but here's the important part, but actually to impress the applicant with the mysterious resources and powers of the sorcerer. So, boy, when we think about the world that we live in today and its dependency upon drugs, and, and naturally we look at the very various medicines that we have and, you know, I... I I think we can say, well, thank God for penicillin. Thank God for certain medicines and uh, like that, that that enable us to, you know, to keep going, give us strength and so on and so forth. But when we think about the effect that drugs have upon upon the world, here's here's what we have yet to find out, and that is the long-term effect of these drugs. Our police officers here... Uh, in this church can tell you about the effects of drugs. I mean, they're out there among the people, and they see the meth users and what it does to a person's body and what it does to their mind. Last night I was watching uh, uh, cops on television, and this, well, no, it wasn't cops. It was a, it was a, a show about jail, women in jail, and this, this one woman was in jail, and pregnant at the time, and she made the statement uh, uh, that this is going to be a crack baby. And, and just a, kind of a stupid smile on her face, and she already had two or three kids, and here she is now going to prison, and another kid on the way, and that poor kid's going to be a, a crack baby. And, and how horrible and how terrible that is to think about that little baby being born into this world with withdrawals. How cruel can you get but but I believe the long-term effect of drugs is yet to be seen. We don't know what it is. I know this. I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, and, and most of you do too. You watch someone that's been on drugs for a long time, and after a while, it affects this right up here. I mean, after a while, it burns their brain to the point that they not only lose their ability to reason and they lose their willpower and so forth. And, and, uh, and, and I'm telling you, they reach a point to where there is no turning back. There's no recovery. There's no getting back from the dark place where they are. And I can hardly imagine what might happen when all of a sudden, you know, when I was a boy... Everybody smoked. Nobody, nobody thought there was any possibility that smoking could be bad for your health. Well, I never even, I never even dreamed of that, really. Ne- never thought about that at all. Well, all of a sudden they come along and say, well, smoking causes cancer. And, you know, I, I guess maybe it does. That's what they say. 
and boy, somebody says, oh boy, yeah, that's terrible. You know, the strange thing is people get all bent out of shape about that, sit there and gorge themselves. And I'll guarantee you, there's more people dying from overeating and lack of exercise than smoking. And, and we, we don't want to talk about that in our Baptist churches very much, do we? No, we don't want to talk about that. But, but here's the point I'm trying to make. Is okay, you know, I'll give the medical community the benefit of the doubt. They're smarter than I am about it, and they've researched it, and all of a sudden they discover, okay, this is bad for you. Of course, some of those people told us that we ought to quit eating eggs and bacon. So I, maybe I shouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt. But I'm just being facetious now. Listen, listen, can you imagine somewhere down the road that we discover we've, you know... All of a sudden, we legalize marijuana for medical purposes. Oh, yeah, the medicinal value is so good. Everybody's got to smoke a joint now and then. It'll really help you get through a rough day, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden that we begin to realize, isn't it amazing that we can legalize marijuana saying it's good for you and you can't smoke camels anymore? I, I, I just, I, I don't get that. But, uh, but anyway. When we think about the effect that it's going to have on, on the, on our children and grandchildren way down the line. And, and, and it's, it, anyway, it's going to be drastic. And, and he says, notice all nations are deceived by what? Drug enchantment. All nations deceived. Some people have asked well, about the Antichrist. And, you know, the Bible says God will send them a strong delusion and they'll believe the lie. What if the Antichrist says they're going to believe it? Well, why? Because of the fact that their mind has been so altered that they no longer can reason like a normal person. Now look at verse 24, and we're through. Verse 24, and in her... Now notice we just just got through saying that here in the desolation of Babylon, entertainment shall end, employment shall stop, energy shall fail, espousals shall cease. Notice also that justice shall be certain. Verse number 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. Let me tell you, the blood of the martyrs are not going to be forgotten. They did not die in vain, and God's not going to forget about it. As sure as Abel's blood cried out from the ground after he was murdered, the blood of the martyrs gets the attention of Almighty God, and in that great day of His wrath, He's going to pour out His judgment upon those who persecuted his people. Now notice, and this is as far as we're going, verse 1 of chapter 19. Chapter 19 is going to end the account of the tribulation, but I just want you to notice the first verse. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. After these things, you see, the end is not yet. After these things. That's why I keep saying the best is yet to come. God is going to have the last word, not man, but God. And after these things. And in chapter number 19, we're going to see God just 
wrapping all of this up and showing sinful man there at the judgment bar of God, the great white throne judgment where he'll be condemned forever. So I hope you'll stay with us through this journey and, uh, and, and, and then we'll wrap it up after that in a few weeks. Well, you know, it's hard to know how to give a, uh, an invitation after a lesson like this other than to say, other than to say this, if you've been deceived by religion, and let me tell you, that deception might have come from a Baptist church as well as anything else. But in some way, you've been deceived into believing that you're saved, and all of a sudden you've come to realize lately that that I am not really a child of God. I have not actually been born again. I do not know for sure I'd go to heaven if I died. You need to settle that tonight. Because judgment day is coming and we'll all give an account of ourselves before God. So let's stand tonight, and it might be God speaking to your heart about something entirely different. You might be saved and on your way to heaven. You don't have any doubt about that. But God's been dealing with you about other things, and maybe you need to do business with God tonight. So as we as we sing tonight, you just let God have His way in your life.